Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. As a church, we have been studying our way through the book of Genesis. And last week, we were on Genesis chapter 19, which has to be one of the most disturbing chapters in the entire Old Testament. It's a chapter where we see God just kill entire, or Jesus kills entire sittings of flagrant homosexuals by dropping burning road tar on them. I mean, if you're going to have to go, uh, having drops of flaming road tar dripped onto you is a bad way to go. Can anybody agree with that? I mean, that's not a good thing to have happen. That's what we looked at last week. It was a very hard sermon to preach, and I know some of you said it was also a hard sermon to listen to. But as you noticed, last week we didn't actually complete all of Genesis 19. We saved the final eight verses, and we're going to look at those this morning. And just so you know, these final eight verses also are pretty disturbing. Uh, they detail out some horrific family consequences that took place in Lot's life. We've been looking at him in Genesis chapter 19. Essentially, Lot has been chosen to be a, he's a Christian, but he's chosen to be a very worldly man. And he's a man that has gone after the world. And we're going to see today some of just terrible consequences in his family with his children because he was a worldly man instead of a godly man. Last week, we saw how um, he offered his daughters up, his virgin daughters up for gang homosexual rape. And this week, we see that his daughters return the favor, and they actually gang incestuously rape him in the opposite direction. So, this is a messed up family. This is a totally depraved family. And you start to say to yourself, when you have a family that looks like this and acts like this, where the little girls are raping their dad, how does it get this way? What went wrong? I mean, what lessons do I need to learn to avoid my kids turning out to be complete disasters? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at lesson from Lot's parenting. In particular, we're going to look at lessons for fathers as they parent their daughters, because that is what this text is focusing on. And just so you know, this is a very appropriate topic for us to study, because fathers are not doing a good job in our society when it comes to parenting their children. Let me give you some statistics. First thing you need to know, one in every three children are aborted. That's a lot. And many times, you know why they're aborted? It's because a father that says to his girlfriend, can you go and just take care of your problem? Take care of the problem? That's, that's dads not stepping to the plate. In our society, 40% of children go to sleep in single-parent homes. And almost all the time, which of the parents do you think is missing? The dad. When it comes to births, there are 3.9 million births a year, but 1.3 million of those births 
are born to single moms. Dads aren't there. Dads just are not parenting. They're stepping away from their responsibility as fathers. And by the way, this is not just a society-wide problem, but there's also a problem in the church because statistics say that 60% of Christians are women. Now, ladies, if you are a young single lady, whether you have children or don't have children, is it hard to find a decent single Christian guy? Thank you. I was waiting to get an amen back there because the truth is it is hard to find a decent single Christian guy. They're in short supply, but there's a lot of single Christian girls. That's just the way it is. So before we read the text, let me just recap what happened last week. Then we're going to read the text for this week. Then we're going to study this thing. Last week, what we saw happen was God sent two angels down to Sodom. They were going to personally check out the sin of that city. Did not go well for Sodom. It became very clear they needed to be destroyed. So these angels told Lot and his family to leave the city. Uh, They didn't quite get it. They didn't act. In fact, eventually, the angels grabbed them by the hand and literally drugged them through the city and out of the city as they were kicking and screaming, wanting to stay behind with all their stuff and be destroyed. So you had Lot, his wife, and his two daughters were outside of the city. But even then, it didn't turn out well. Because Mrs. Lot, what happened to her? She apparently wanted to either look back or, as it would say in Luke 17, almost go back and get her stuff. It didn't turn out well. She turned into a pillar of salt. So for all you hunters, she's like the world's biggest salt lick for deer. That's exactly what happened to her. And not a good way to go. What we found is that Lot and his two daughters ran to Zor. Now, Zor literally means little, and we did some research on it last week. It explained Zor was one of the cities of the valley. Zor was just as sinful as Sodom. It was like a Mini Cooper, just downsized on the same thing. We pick up the story right there. Uh, Lot and his daughters are in Zor. What we're going to do, by the way, is I originally was going to read just verse 30. I'm going to read verse 30, and then I want you to flip onto the other side of your outline, and let's read verses 31 through 36, too. So we'll read verses 30 through 36 in your Bible, and then we'll study. Now Lot went up out of Zor, and he lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And then on the next page. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down and when she arose. And the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. 
And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. That is a sick, messed up, twisted family. Amen? Very strange. None of us want to be part of that kind of family. None of us want to have any of those kind of kids who would even think of doing something, those kind of things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work through this text by the basis of five questions. Five questions that every father needs to ask to avoid their kids ending up like this. So what questions should I be asking to raise my daughters to love Jesus, not ending up like this? Here's the first question. Number one, who am I going to marry? Who am I going to marry? Where is Mrs. Lot? Anybody remember? Dead. Gone. Here's the thought. The Bible doesn't say this, but do you think she was a good Israelite woman? No, I don't think she was either. I think, since there's nothing mentioned about Lot having a wife until this point, I doesn't say this, but I think she was a Sodomite woman. I think he met and married her as a woman of the city. I think she was an unbelieving woman. She's probably a very good-looking woman. She's probably a hot lady. Uh, but Lot married for looks. Lot didn't marry looking for who would be the good mother. Lot married her probably because she looked great in spandex. Single guys, let me just say something to you. You are not looking to marry the hottest girl you can find who will say yes to walking down the aisle. That's not what you're looking for. You are looking for a girl that, number one, loves Jesus more than she loves you. And number two, you're looking for a woman who is committed to being an amazing mother of your children. Those are two non-negotiable things you must find. I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care how hot she is. I don't care if she's Miss America herself. If she doesn't love Jesus more than anything else in this world, and number two, if she is not committed to being a godly mother to raise her children to be little zealots for Jesus, you just move on and keep looking. Really. What does it say in Scripture? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, by the way, men, should you still be attracted to your wife? You, yes, and she would greatly appreciate the fact that you're attracted to her. It sort of goes that way. But no matter how attractive she is, love Jesus more than you. And number two, has to be committed to be an amazing mother who wants to raise godly kids. Otherwise, keep moving. Let me explain it to you this way. Men, your daughters will become just like their mother. There is no way of avoiding this. If your daughter, or if your mother, excuse me, if your wife, their mother that is, is a nag, guess who is going to learn to be a nag? Her daughter. In fact, she'll nag you. And then she'll be prepared to nag her future husband. She'll learn it from her mom. 
if the lady you marry is disrespectful towards you, the daughter will watch it and learn to be disrespectful to her father and then learn to be disrespectful toward her future husband. If the lady you marry is not passionately in love with Jesus, your daughters will watch it and she will learn that Jesus really doesn't matter that much and she shouldn't be passionately in love with Jesus. If the, the girl you marry can't get to church on Sunday morning and she constantly makes excuses because there's other things to do, what's going to happen once you marry and have kids? She'll continue to make excuses and she won't get to church. And then her kids will watch that and her kids will learn that and her kids will be just like her. But on the other hand, if you marry a woman who is completely fired up for Jesus when she's single, she'll be fired up for Jesus when she's married. If your daughters see their mother writing little notes of encouragement to her mother-in-law, your daughter will learn to write little notes of encouragement to her future mother-in-law because they'll learn by watching what their mother does. If your daughter sees her mother making meals for people who are sick in the church and delivering meals to people who are sick in the church, guess what your daughter's going to do when she gets married? Make meals. Deliver them. And she'll say, I want to be just like my mother. So it's important. It's important that young men marry well. Because if you're going to have good kids, you've got to start with a good mother. And by the way, it's not just girls. It's also boys. Boys learn from their mother what a relationship between a husband and wife should look like. And if you marry a woman who treats you trashy and, and boys watch their mother treat their father trashy, guess what? They learn that's the way that marriage should be. And they get into a relationship with a girl who treats them trashy. They'll say, oh, it's perfect, just like home. And you don't want to perpetuate that. Now, you want to also not just marry a woman who loves Jesus, but you also want to marry a woman who has the same kind of mindset about life as you do. In other words, you have to talk about things like work, about parenting, about home expectations. For instance, you want to have a discussion about work. Maybe your idea is that your wife works all the time and is like a complete supplemental income, but maybe her idea is I want to be a stay-at-home mom. If you're not on the same page with that before you get married, trust me, it's not going to get easier after you get married. Maybe your idea is that you want to just have one kid because that way it doesn't inconvenience your lifestyle, and her idea is to have enough kids to have her own baseball team. Now, you better have discussed that before you tie the knot because otherwise you have different expectations going forward. Maybe your idea is you work all day and come home and she has the meal made. And, but her idea is that marriage is going to be all 50-50, that you make the dinner half the time, you do half of the laundry, and you do half the cleaning. Well, you better have discussed that before you ask her to be your wife. You need to know these things. The point is that the woman you marry, guys, will have a radical impact upon your children, either for good or for ill. 
You have to marry a woman who loves Jesus passionately and wants to be a great mother. Lot, I think, completely blew it in this area. And that's one of the reasons we see it totally messed up with his kids. Second question you have to ask, where am I going to live? Where am I going to live? I think Lot blew it in this area as well. Lot determined where he would live based on the size of his paycheck. It's exactly what happened. Genesis 13, remember, Abraham and Lot had to divide the land, and they were up on a hill, and they looked, and Abraham said, you go at this side or that side? And Lot said, I'm taking this side. I'm going to take the Jordan Valley. It's outside of the promised land, but it has all these rich cities, and there'll be all kinds of money I could make there. I'm going to be filthy, stinking rich if I live there. But while Lot made the decision on where he left based on the size of the paycheck, he did not make his decision on where he lived based on where it was a good place to raise a family. Because what were the cities of the valley like? We learned last week there were no righteous people in those cities. There was no church for his family. There was no godly friends for his kids. Everyone was against God and his ways in that city. There was no spiritual encouragement in those cities for his wife. And there was no sit and sip on a Tuesday morning where ladies could get together and encourage one another. When you want to raise your kids and you want to successfully raise them to know and love Jesus, you have to ask yourself, where am I going to live? Or am I just making a decision based on the size of my paycheck? Because I need, like, a good church for my family. I need good women for my wife to be around. I need a good youth group for my kids to encourage them and so they grow in Jesus Christ. When it comes to work, or living, Lot elevated living way over work because he wanted money. We talk about how where you live has a strong influence on your children. Let me just think of something here I, I noticed. His daughters cooked up an incredibly wicked and dark plan to incestuously rape their father. Now, in my mind, I can't even imagine how girls would think of this kind of stuff. I mean, where do you come up with this cracked up plan of raping your father? Here's where I think they got it from. They got it because they grew up as students in Sodom Public High School. They went to Sodom Sex Ed class. And I believe that what happened is their friends in school were doing these kind of sick perverted and twisted things. And they were around people who did these kind of things. And you guys know how peer pressure works in that day. It starts to make some really sick, demented things more acceptable in your mind. Now, you say, really? Were they doing that kind of sick stuff in Sodom? Well, the Bible seems to lead us to believe they were. Flip your page in your notes. Look at Leviticus 18. It says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness either. No incest. But go a few verses farther into verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, referring to the previous list of which verse 7 is one of them. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. 
This is the kind of stuff the Canaanite people were doing. And God said in Leviticus, don't be like them. This is the kind of stuff they were doing in Sodom. Now, Originally, so we talked, we're talking about how where you live makes a big influence on how your kids are raised and how they think. Originally, Lot was told to run to the hills, not to run to Zor. And maybe it's because he wasn't an athletic guy, doesn't like the idea of climbing a hill, uh, whatever. I got thinking, you know, why was he to run to the hills? Here's my guess. Who was in the hill land? Abraham. Abraham, his rich uncle. Abraham, who would be a good influence on him. Abraham, who would be a good influence on his daughters. But he didn't run to the hill land. First thing he started at in Sodom, which was all the negative influence on his girls, the teacher all kinds of weird, weird, sick, demented things. And then he ran, not to the hill country, but to the caves where it's just him and his daughters alone, and there is no positive influence on them. There's just no influence whatsoever. Still didn't go to a place where he had more positive influence on his girls. Another thing I noticed here, maybe you won't agree with me, but I'll put it out here. Where you raise your kids determines how they think about life. Notice what these girls say here. There is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Are these girls looking for a husband, marriage, and family? Or are these girls looking for sex and children? What do you think? There's not a manner to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Everybody else is having sex and having children. We don't have anybody to do that with. Now, I don't know for sure, but I think these girls are not looking for marriage and family and a husband. I I just don't think they are. So, the second thing you have to ask yourself is, where will I live? Because where I live will have a huge influence on my children and their thinking and the way they process life. You have to have them in a good, godly church environment. Third question you need to ask. Who will my daughters meet and marry? Who will my daughters meet and marry? In the ancient world, it was a father's responsibility to arrange the marriage of his daughter. Lot failed miserably in this area. Remember, these girls at one time were engaged. We saw that last week. They were engaged to two men in Sodom who it would seem to infer, as we studied last week, that these were two bisexual men who laughed in Lot's face when he tried to warn them to flee for their life. No respect for their father-in-law. I don't think he did a really good job in arranging that first marriage. Of course, those guys all died. Now, these girls are older And they're feeling that natural pressure. You know, I'm getting a little older. I don't want to become an old maid. I'd like to get married. I would like to have children. And whose job is it to help them get married and so they find a good guy and have a good family? Slots. What is he doing? Hanging out in a cave. Not taking any initiative. Not good. 
Now, fathers, let me speak to you. Fathers, we have a responsibility to help our daughters meet and marry godly men. Sometimes girls bring home like these really strange guys. And you're like, you know, he looks like he comes from Africa because he has that many nose rings. And you're like, where did you find him, dear? And you're like, well, I didn't know. There's like nobody around and I was sort of desperate and this is all I could find. And so the the father sort of scratches his head and goes, man, that's sort of a strange guy. Well, did you take any responsibility, Dad, to put your daughters into a position where they can meet and marry a godly Christian man? You see, I'm not talking, by the way, at this point about like arranged marriages and some of you, oh, are you talking about that kind of stuff? No, I'm not. All I'm saying is you have to help your girls get to places where they can meet and marry the right kind of guy. And guys and gals, you have to try to put yourself in the right position to meet and marry the right kind of guy. I'll give you an example. Um, I was growing up, I was, I was taking, attending seminary on the East Coast. I went to some of these churches out there. They're really small, and there were single Christian women. The problem is they were all over 60 because their husbands had died of heart attacks. And as a 20-some-odd-year-old guy, I was like, that's not my age group. That's not my thing. You know, it's like you get sort of frustrated, and you want to find your standards starting to lower. You're like, okay, well, maybe i got to find just somebody. I don't want to be single. I don't like it. Um, I eventually transferred out to Chicago to finish at Trinity Seminary. And I, when I was there, uh, I heard that there was this really large church in Chicago called Willow Creek. And this large church had this huge singles ministry. And I was like, okay, I'm not have a math background. When you have more people, the statistics say that you're more likely to meet the right girl. You know, like I went from what was a, a little dime store where you have like three or four things on the shelf to like the Walmart of women. You know, because this singles ministry has hundreds of singles all running around and they're all Christians looking for a mate. I was like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Uh, this is what I need to do. Go the right place where I can meet the right kind of woman. And who did I meet there? And who did I marry? My wife. It was like it's part of my responsibility to put myself in a position where I can meet and marry the right kind of woman. Women. It's young women. It's part of your responsibility to put yourself in the right position where you can try to meet the right kind of man. Fathers, it's part of your responsibility to help your daughters get into one of those positions. Let me explain to you how this works out in our life. And you don't have to agree with me, but I'll throw it out. Uh, when David, my oldest son, uh, was looking at colleges, uh, we looked at Iowa State, we looked at some other schools, but I told him, I said, I would recommend that you go to Northwestern Christian College. That's your father's wishes. And let me explain to you why. Not that Iowa State is a bad school, great school, no problem there. It has good Christian organizations. But I said, David, if you go to Northwestern, you'll have to take Bible classes. And you're going to learn God's Word more, which is the most precious and important thing you can do. Uh, number two, there'll be more godly Christian men around there to help sharpen you. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is very, very important. You have good, godly men to influence you. Number three, 
there's lots of single Christian women that are walking around the campus, many of them who love Jesus passionately and deeply. And you are more likely to meet and then marry the right kind of girl. And number four, they have a great wrestling team and a great coach. Which, if you know, <laughs> that could easily become number one in our life, but that's, we tried not to let it go there. But that is really important to me. I want, and by the way, I pay for it financially, because trust me, it's not cheap. But the deal is, so important, is to put in my kids in the right place to meet the right kind of woman. It's just really that important. By the way, dads, let me just say something else on the other side. Not only is it our responsibility to put our daughters in the right position to meet the right guy, but it's also our responsibility to talk with her when she starts making the wrong kind of choices, isn't it? When all of a sudden she's starting to hang out with a guy that you say, that's not the right kind of guy you need in your life, and it's very hard, it's very difficult, and it takes lots of wisdom and courage and gentleness to talk to her, but it's still our responsibility. She's our girl, isn't she? If we don't, who will? So, we talked about how it's our responsibility, who my daughters will meet and who my daughters will marry. Guys have to ask those questions. The fourth question we need to ask is this. What am I teaching my daughters about their sexuality? What am I teaching them about their sexuality? By the way, I'm not making this stuff out of my head. It is in the text. A father or a daughter learns about her sexuality from not just her mother, but from also her father. A daughter watches how her father treats her mother. A daughter watches how her father treats other women. In fact, what we saw here is the oldest girl in Lot's family had this sick, perverted idea about sleeping with her father. Where did this low view of her sexuality come from? Here's my thoughts. It came from watching her father. Her father taught about a low view of her sexuality. Because in the previous verses, when all the men were outside, and they were going to do a gang rape of Lot's guests, Lot just offered his virgin daughters. Take them. Rape them. And all of a sudden, these girls learned that their sexuality was there to satisfy the desires of men. Real low view. And when it comes to them, having sexual desires and the desire to be pregnant, they've learned that sex is not sacred. It's not cherished. It's not saved for marriage. They go after their father. We'll use his sexuality to satisfy our desires for children. So my thought is here, you know, they learned a low view of sex from their dad. Dads, it's our responsibility to talk to our daughters about purity, about chastity about marriage and to keep a very high view of who they are and their, and their femaleness. This means that when your daughter comes downstairs and she's dressed like a tramp and she has a mini skirt on that's not much bigger than a belt, what do you say to her? You tell her that this is not appropriate and you tell her that her job is not to get the eyes of every single male in her school. And that she needs to preserve her sexuality and save it for her wedding night and not cause men to lust. But the other thing is, your daughter 
desperately wants to be loved. She desperately wants guys to, to give her attention and make her feel important and beautiful. Who's going to do that? Dads, you need to. You need to go on what we call daddy-daughter dates. You need to take her out and you treat her special. You show her what it's like for a, 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 a man to treat her well. Take her to dinner. Uh, treat her well. Tell her she's beautiful. Tell her she's special. Tell her she's loved. Care for her. And set a really high bar about how a man should treat her. Because if you don't go after her and make her feel special and loved and cherished, if you just ignore her, you know what's going to happen? Some cheese ball at the high school is going to go after her and make her feel special, loved, and cherished. And you're going to say, where did he come from? And why is he stealing her heart? And it's right out from under my nose. You weren't there. So dads, treat her like a lady. Take her on daddy-daughter dates. You see, the deal is that every little girl wants to marry somebody who is just like her daddy. Isn't it true? Every little girl wants to marry somebody like her daddy. So be the right kind of man for her. So, if you're a daddy who ignores your daughter, if you're a daddy who's uh, rough or trashy on your daughter, what will happen is she'll say, you know what, that's the kind of man I would expect Somebody who treats me just like dad, who treats me like trash, somebody who ignores me, somebody who I have to do all kinds of random things to get the attention for. That's not what we want. We want, I mean, our, our girls are going to meet and marry somebody like their dad. So be the right kind of dad. You want your girls to marry a man who loves Jesus, who loves her, who loves raising children, who uh, loves family, who loves to be leaders in the church. You want to marry a guy, you want her to marry a guy like that, so be a guy like that. It's very important. Now, guys, do we fail in this area? Of course, we fail miserably. But we want to strive. Strive to be the kind of guy that we want our daughters to marry. Because subconsciously, that is who she'll be after, and that is who she'll pursue. Last question. What are my teachers teaching my daughter about manliness? What am I teaching her about manliness? Interesting situation here. You notice these girls plan to get their father drunk. They make it out of Sodom, barely alive, but somehow they managed to bring the liquor cabinet with them, didn't they? Doesn't seem to be any problem finding liquor. They're homeless, they're living in a cave, but they have plenty to drink. I'm reading between the lines here, but I think that Lot has a problem with alcohol. I really do. They know that all they need to do is keep refilling his beer, and Lot will drink himself into oblivion. Lot will drink himself drunk. That's all they need to do is give him free refills. And then he'll do things that he doesn't even remember. Lot has an alcohol problem. 
I think Lot is being a really poor example of what a man looks like. Lot is the kind of guy that comes home, that crashes on the couch, he has a beer in one hand, a bag of Doritos on the other, and he's watching football on the big screen until he completely passes out at night. And so these girls are saying, this is what manliness looks like. Manliness looks like a drunken fool because that's what my father is like. He's their drunken hero. Now, guys, some of us may feel guilty on this. Some of us may look at ourselves and say, you know what? I don't want my daughter to marry a man like me. I want my daughter to marry a man that's better than me. I don't want my daughter to marry somebody who eats like me, somebody who acts like me, somebody who drinks like me. This passage for you may be an urgent challenge to repent, to make some lifestyle changes, and to be the kind of dad that your daughter looks up to. I mean, Lot, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Lot's a Christian, but he is a pathetic Christian. He's a drunken, full fool Christian. He's a man that fathered his own grandchildren. Man, he finished poorly. Now, let me just show you where this goes from here. It says in verses 37 through 38, The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. (laughs) Sort of fun. Moab literally means from the father. It's literally like incest in Hebrew. So these girls, they're not real quiet about their sin. They're like flaunting their sin. They're like, yeah, my son's name is Moab. My son's name is incest. I mean, can you picture this? Incest, time for dinner. Every time Lot hears this, he's reminded of his own lunacy and his poor parenting. Not only that, but since incest was already taken, when the next girl has her son, she names him ben Ami, which means son of my nearest relative. So people are like, oh, you're the son of the nearest relative. Well, who's your nearest relative? Mom's dead. Well, that's obvious. <laughs> your father... <laughs> Your mother's father is your father. It's pretty sick. These women are sick, deranged, wicked women. And Moab and Ben-Ami father the Moabites and the Ammonites. These are two people groups that are thorns in the side of Israel for years and generations to come. Let me give you an example. Numbers 22 talks about the Moabites. The Moabites... We had the situation there with Balak and Balaam. Balak was the king of the Moabites, and he hired Balaam to curse, the Mo- to curse Israel. Didn't work. Three times tried. Each of those curses turned into blessings. So finally, what Balak decided to do was send the Moabite women into the camp of Israel to seduce and have sex with the Moabite men, or the Israelite men. That's a pretty sick, demented way to go. But that's the what the Moabites are always about. They were founded in sexual immorality, and they continue to practice sexual immorality. Another example, 2 Chronicles 24, 26, talks about the assassination of King Joash of Israel. You know who the two assassins were? A Moabite 
and an Ammonite. I told you, like forever, they're just thorns in the side. Now, I know today is like one of the most depressing sermons out there. This is like terrible. This is terrible parenting. This is terrible stuff about what is going on. But there is hope. There is good news. But it's not found on this page in your Bible. It's found later. Do any of you guys remember the name of an incredibly good Moabite woman? Ruth. Exactly. The story is that Naomi and her husband uh, left Israel in time of famine and went to Moab, Moabites, meant to live in Moab. And they had their sons with them. Their sons married Moabite women. Eventually, Ruth's husband died. Ruth's two sons died. So you just had Naomi and these two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi says, you know, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to where my people are, where I can worship my God. I'm going back. You ladies go back to your parents. Orpah goes back. But Ruth says something different. She says, you know, no, no, I'm going with you. And she says something. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. That is the Old Testament version of Ruth becoming a Christian. It's exactly what it is. Now, here's where it gets cool. Ruth returns um, with Naomi, meets a man named Boaz, gets married to Boaz. They have a child together named Obed, who then has a son named Jesse, who then has a son named David, King David. And here's what is so cool. When Ruth has left her gods and left her people and is going after the true God of the universe and the true people that are God's people, what happens is God takes and engrafts Ruth into the very bloodline of Jesus Christ. This is incredibly good. God is incredibly gracious. If he could take this incestuous, out-of-wedlock birth to this incredibly brutal family that has a pathetic, drunken patriarch and a raping, incestual matriarch, and he can pluck out of that family this one woman who repents and graft her into the bloodline of Jesus Christ? All I can say is this. If there is room in God's family for a dirty, stinking Moabite, there is room in God's family for you and for me doesn't matter how wicked your sin is, doesn't matter how dark your past, doesn't matter what kind of bloodline you come from, no matter who you are, when you relieve your um, gods and go to the one true God of the universe, Jesus Christ, when you leave your old ways and follow and become part of God's people, you too can be grafted into the very bloodline of Jesus and you're called a Christian and you're saved forever. And you are adopted into his family. And you have a new family, a new father, a new identity. You become a new person. If God can save a filthy, wicked, stinking Moabite, he can save you and he can save me. He is just that gracious. One more thing. As I close, I want to especially challenge dads. Dads with little girls. I want you to take these five questions and I want you today to seriously ask these questions and to not just ask these questions of yourself and your parenting, but to put action to these things and change. 
Change things that God may be calling you to change. So we can raise little girls who are godly girls, who become godly mothers, who get married to godly men, who are godly matriarchs, who have a whole tribe and raise another generation of children who know and love Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we often just neglect the role of a father when it comes to raising a daughter. I pray that we would repent today and that as fathers we'd be actively involved in our daughter's lives. That you'd help us to be the kind of men that she would look up to, the kind of man who loves God, the kind of man that she ultimately would want to marry. Help us to do that. We know we'll do it flawed. We know we'll be imperfect. But we ask for your grace and strength and mercy. Father, we also thank you so much for taking Ruth, this filthy Moabite woman from a terrible background, and putting her right into the bloodline of Jesus. But more importantly, we thank you for taking us, pagan, filthy Gentiles, and also grafting us in as we repent and trust in you. We ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.